Good morning. Ezekiel 37, please. Ezekiel 37, so you see Psalms, Proverbs, go a little bit further. Eventually you'll find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. That's where you want to be. Uh, If you've got one of our pew Bibles, that's page 724. Ezekiel 37. Uh, We've begun a series on what is a healthy church. Uh, Just as there are certain telltale signs that will indicate to a doctor that you are in good health, strong breathing, uh, having a steady heart rate, good reflexes, mental acuity. There are certain telltale signs that will indicate to you that the church that you're looking at is healthy and strong. So over the course of the next nine weeks, we're going to look at nine different marks of a healthy church. Church. Uh, just a reminder, this is not my, my own brainchild as we select these nine marks. I'm really just using uh, another book written by Mark Dever to, to guide me. Well, last week we talked about what is the church, and then we talked about why the church exists. And we said the church exists to glorify God and to make Him known. Now, if the church exists to make God known... If our desire is to see his glory displayed, then an obvious place to begin, the very first mark that we should look at, is preaching, or what I'm going to call expositional preaching. And I say that because what activity of the church makes God known more clearly, more explicitly, more directly than the bold proclamation of his word through preaching? And so here we are at mark number one, expositional preaching preaching. Well, let me start by reading our text this morning, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Uh, You might not be able to immediately see what this has to do with expositional preaching, but, you know, hang in there. Eventually, uh, it should be clear to you. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, please follow along as I read. Ezekiel is speaking, and he says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army." And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. That's the end of our reading. Let's pray. Lord, would you put your spirit in us? Would you give us life this morning? Lord, we ask that you would do that through the the spirit interacting with the preached word. Would you use that to uh, revive, to rejuvenate, to give life? Uh, Certainly to those who are dead in their sins and lost in them, Lord, we pray that you would give them life. But many of us also just need your life-giving spirit working in and again through us. And we, we ask that you would do that. Do that through this, the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of the nine marks that we will be looking at over the next nine weeks, this one, The one that we're looking at this morning, expositional preaching, is the most important. If you get this one right, the others will just follow, hopefully. If you fail on this one, it will be tremendously difficult for the other areas to actually be healthy. No pressure on the preacher. It's like when you're mini-golfing. Uh, my family went mini-golfing a couple nights ago, and uh, you know how it is. You're trying to get that golf ball into the hole, past all the little traps and hills and valleys, around the edges. It's got to hit the right angle and all that sort of thing. But you realize this, that, that if, if you were to get your putter lined up exactly as it should be, not a little to the right, not a little to the left, if you can get that lined up just as it should be, that ball is going to find its way right into that hole. But of course, if, you're, if your putter is off, It affects the entire trajectory of the ball, and that ball does not, which we found out, didn't we, family, does not go where you want it to go. Well, this mark of a healthy church is of supreme importance. Now, that I know is a bold statement, but I don't say that because I believe there's some special power in the preacher. There certainly is not, but because I am convinced that there is special power in the Word of God. You see, This book, it is this that contains everything that we need for life and godliness. And so it is this that tells us everything we need to know about the other eight marks. And so we must start here with the word of God. We don't want this putter to be misaligned. We want it to face the right way. Okay, but what exactly is expositional preaching? You're you're, you're thinking, Craig, okay, preaching, I get... But what is expositional preaching? Uh, And and by the way, I have tried to figure out if there is supposed to be a difference between the term expositional preaching and expository preaching. Uh, You'll hear both. And as far as I can tell, there's no difference between the two. The only difference you, you have is that some guys like David Helm or Mark Dever tend to say expositional preaching. Other guys like uh, John Stott, Steve Lawson, John MacArthur tend to say expository preaching. But as far as I can tell, they're one and the same. If you've got some insights for me, I would love to know. But when, you, when I say expositional, we're also talking expository Well, what is expositional preaching? Expositional preaching 
is preaching, we can start here, that intends to expose the meaning of the passage being studied. You can hear that word, can't you? In expositional, you're, you're trying to expose the meaning of the text. So, if we're studying 1 Corinthians 13, or Romans 8.28, or John 3.16, we don't want to just kind of pick it up and use it for my own ends and kind of, kind of try to think of what I think it means. No, we want to expose what the passage was originally intended to mean. Now, this is sometimes contrasted with topical preaching. Uh, in topical preaching, the preacher starts with the topic he wants to preach. Maybe a sermon on marriage, or a sermon on justification, or a sermon on faith, or a, a sermon on child-rearing. He starts there, and then he finds a text that will help him to preach that. Often, this means taking a verse or two and, a, and applying that, those verses to the people directly which is fine. We, we want to, don't we? We want to know what all of God's word says about any given topic. It's a good thing to do. But the danger of topical preaching is that the preacher gives little thought to the context and sometimes the original sense of those words. He might actually quote them out of context and inadvertently twist those words to his own end. He might end up giving a message that is different from the scripture's intended message. You know, he might give the impression that when you look at John 3.16, because the word world is in there, he might give the impression that God is universalism, that God so loved the world that he saved everybody, universalism. Or you might get the, get, he might give the impression, as he looks at 1 Corinthians 13, that really this is just a passage about marriage and completely miss the fact that it's actually in the context of the church with its spiritual gifts. want to make sure we consider the passage in its context. Now, do you see the difference between topical preaching and expositional preaching? Topical preaching starts with a topic. Expositional preaching starts with the text. Uh, most expositional preachers will preach Lectio Continua. Now, that's Latin, and that's Latin for continuous reading. And what that means is they start with the first chapter of a book of the Bible, and they just kind of keep on working through that thing, consecutively preaching it through till they get to the end of that book of the Bible. Now, what this means is that often the expositional preacher does not know what is going to be the topic that he'll be preaching on in next week's sermon. Right, So uh, he, he goes in on Monday morning, and he opens his Bible, and he's not sure yet what his main thesis will be, what he's going to be preaching on until he really digs into the text, unless he's working ahead of time, he knows a few weeks ahead of time, unless he digs into the text, and sometimes, as he digs into the text, he gets quite the surprise, doesn't he? And he says, oh, I guess this Sunday the text I'm going to be preaching is a genealogy. Or I guess this Sunday I'm going to be having to preach about this kind of awkward moral impropriety. Or maybe this text this Sunday is about skin diseases and whether it's oozing or not oozing and what we have to do with it. That's what I'm preaching on. Now, if the expositional preacher is trying to expose the word of God, that means he's trying to make sure that the message he preaches is the message of the text. If the text says XYZ, he then preaches XYZ. Uh, David Helm says it this way. He says, Expositional preaching is preaching that rightly submits the shape and emphasis of the sermon to the shape and emphasis of the biblical text. 
You submit the shape and emphasis of the sermon to the shape and emphasis of the biblical text. The point of the biblical text, the message of the biblical text, becomes the point and message of the sermon. And we we see rough examples of this in Scripture. We see some rough examples of it in Acts with some of the sermons that are preached there. We also see it, don't we, in Jesus uh, participating in this sort of activity in the synagogue. Do you remember he goes into the synagogue, Luke chapter 4, and it says that he is handed the, the scroll and he turns to a certain section of the prophet Isaiah and then he reads that, that, that passage of scripture. Uh, and, and then we're told this, we're told that all eyes looked at him. Why is that? It's because he wasn't expected to simply read the text, but to read and then comment on, to read and then explain the text. But I love the wording of Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah chapter 8, the the Israelites are are gathered in Jerusalem. They've returned from many years in exile. And Ezra the priest, he gathers all the people together and he opens the book of the law of Moses in the sight of all of the people. And and we're told that he and his helpers began to read the law of Moses to them. And then it says this. This is verse 8. It says, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. They read it, and then they gave the sense so that people could understand what it meant. They, they made sure that people understood the message of Scripture. We could say it this way, they exposited the text. They were expositional preachers. So, Expositional preaching, seeking to make sure that the main point of the text becomes the main point of the sermon. Now, the irony is not lost on me. Uh, The irony of it all is that this sermon, the one that you're hearing right now, right? This sermon on expositional preaching is what? A topical sermon. Uh, The whole series is. It's a series of topical sermons, but but what I'm going to seek to do as we move through this series is I am going to attempt to take a text and to exposit it and then apply it to the topic at hand. So you've got Ezekiel 37 open in front of you. You don't have to close it, keep it open, but we're not getting to it yet, so you're going to have to hold on. Expositional preaching. Why do we at Grace Reformed Baptist Church have a steady diet of expositional preaching? Well, that really gets down to the core of what this mark is about. It's because, really, it's, it's all about the importance of God's word. That's what it's really all about. It's the importance of God's word. Why do we value this kind of preaching? It's because we place a high value on the word of God. I mean, we know, don't we, that God's word is valuable? Uh, think of Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. Or Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. It's an extensive tribute to the word of God. Or Deuteronomy 17, uh, I don't know if this had struck you when we worked through Deuteronomy. The, the kings of Israel are commanded to, as part of their job, to write out for themselves a copy of God's law. It's that important. It's that valuable. God's word is of primary importance to the church. That's why we want to be careful that we exposit it and that we exposit it correctly. When you're looking for a church, you know, if, if someday the Lord moves your family out of this area and you're looking for a new church home, 
the most crucial question that you can ask is not, what kind of programs do they have there? It's not, what kind of music do they sing? It's not, do they make me feel warm and welcome? The most crucial question that you can ask is, do they preach the word of God? Do they preach God's word? And you're not just looking for any preaching, because of course every church that you go to has something of some sort of preaching, but do they seek to exposit and and explain and apply the actual message of the text? You see, God's word is of primary importance to the church. Now let me give you two implications, and this is how we'll spend the rest of our time together. Uh, We've said God's word is of primary importance, two implications, therefore, number one, the pastor must preach it. Implication number one, the pastor must preach it. You see, God's primary means of delivering his message to people is through messengers, He delivers his message through agents. Now, yes, sometimes he speaks directly. Sometimes he speaks face to face. But more often, he sends a messenger to deliver the word of the Lord to people. You know, if we had a, if we had a whiteboard up here, and if this were a Sunday school class, and if, and if we had time, one of the things I could have you help me with is we could, we could try to list on this whiteboard all of the occurrences in scripture where God sent a messenger to deliver his word. We could just start writing down names, wouldn't we? God sent this guy. God sent this guy. God sent this guy. He sends messengers to deliver his word, whether it's Old Testament prophets or whether it's New Testament apostles, whether it's Moses or Jeremiah or John the Baptist or Paul. God is regularly sending messengers to declare his truth. And notice it's it's not to declare what they want to say, but they are to declare God's particular message. And listen, that is the job given to the preacher. Paul tells Timothy to preach what? The word. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach God's word in season, out of season. Preach the word. In in, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles. Remember, this is when the the diaconate gets instituted. The, The apostles said they could not spend time waiting on tables because they needed to give themselves to what? To the preaching of the word and prayer. It's important that the word be preached. And what's the, what's the best way to do that? The best way to preach the message of God is through expositional preaching. I mean, think about it. If the preacher regularly gets to pick and choose the message that he's going to give. He sits down, he says, hmm, this week, what do I want to preach? I think, he pages through, he thinks about his quiet time, something that stood out to him recently. And he thinks, okay, I'm going to preach about X. If if that's how he approaches preaching, the congregation will only ever get to hear what the preacher thinks they should hear, right? They will be limited by the pastor's preferences, by the pastor's ideas, by the pastor's hobby horses. They'll never never grow beyond their pastor. They're going to be limited by his level of learning, by his spiritual experiences, by his spiritual maturity. They won't grow beyond it. But listen, when... The text determines the message. The preacher is often forced to preach something that is beyond him. Something that he never saw coming. He would never have thought to preach on whatever, but there it is. It's in the text in front of him, and lo and behold, that must be what God wants his people to hear this Sunday. Of course, that means that the the preacher sometimes has to preach passages that are extremely difficult or extremely awkward 
Some of you may remember some of the sermons I had to preach from Deuteronomy. But it's so good that we hear the whole counsel of God, Acts chapter 20. The word of God must be proclaimed. The word of God must be clearly proclaimed from our pulpits. Let's not waste our time on little gimmicks, on fancy little video clips, on theatrical elements that somehow add to our sermons. Uh, Let's not give ourselves to to dressing up like characters from our our favorite movie so you guys are all impressed with the, the preaching of God's word. We don't need to spice up God's word. It is spicy enough on its own, and it must be proclaimed. I have, a, I have a friend who started a church, and I asked him once how it's going. And he said, he, he told this to me, I was saddened to hear it, he said that he's moved away from one-directional monologue preaching. Now that's what you guys get here, okay? One-directional, I'm the only one talking, it's, it's a monologue. He said, I'm moving away from one-directional monologue preaching, and instead he said he's doing conversational sermons, dialogue you know lots of back and forth i give my ideas you give some of your ideas and that concerns me i think that's a problem because the the picture of what you're seeing right now of of one way monologue preaching is the picture of a man who's not sitting up here and getting to tell you all the things that he's thinking about is a picture of a man who is delivering a message from god and and it is good for people to learn to sit And listen and heed the word of God. The pastor must preach the word of God. Now how do we apply this to you? We can see how this applies to me, to the other men in our congregation who preach. But how do we apply this to you? Well, I think it's as simple as this. Be sure to support those who preach God's word to you. Support him with your encouragement. Tell him how you've been blessed. Show him where you've grown. And even better, pray for him. Support him with your prayers. Do it constantly. Do it regularly. Do it daily. Pray for the men who are preaching in your local church. And then guard his time. Guard his time. Make sure that he has ample time to give himself to preparation in the word of God. You know, a a pastor has has many areas of responsibility. Counseling and visitation and prayer and overseeing the church and its various ministries, discipling, evangelism, all the administrative duties that come with the job. But listen, if all of the areas had to go but one, there's all those different things a pastor can do. If, and and I hope it never comes to this because a pastor is called to do more than just preaching, but if everything had to go but one, the one that stays must be the preaching of God's word. It is all important. He must give himself to the preaching of the word. Let me just pause here and thank you, Grace Reformed Baptist Church. Uh, You are a church who regularly encourages me, supports me. I know you support the other men who are preaching, and I I thank you for that. You guys allow me to make the preaching of God's word a priority week after week, and I'm thankful for that. You you give me a paycheck so I can give my full time to it, and I'm thrilled that you guys do that. I love serving you. Uh, I don't know why I get to shepherd one of the best flocks in the world, but you guys are wonderful, so thank you. God's word is primary, so the pastor must, must preach it. Secondly, 
Second implication, the congregation must listen. God's word is primary, so the congregation must listen. You you think of, of Romans chapter 10, which says, How will they hear if no one preaches? But you know, the opposite tragedy is also true. What if he preaches, but no one hears? I mean, how often do, they, do the Old Testament prophets, I mean, even Jesus himself, how often do they condemn those who have ears but do not listen? Ears to hear, but they do not listen. They, they hear it, sure, but are they actually listening? Do they allow God's word to enter not just their ears, but do they allow it to trickle into their minds and then even down into their hearts and into their very souls? You see, when God's word is truly preached, and God's people are genuinely listening to it and heeding it, let me tell you, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen when God's word is proclaimed and you actually listen to it and heed it. Look at Ezekiel 37. You're probably beginning to think I would never get to Ezekiel 37. Uh, Ezekiel 37, page 724 if you need it again. Amazing things happen when God's word is truly preached and God's people listen. Well, you remember the setup. Ezekiel has a vision where he's set down in the middle of a valley, and this valley is full of bones. There's bones all over. These are human bones, and there's, there's many of them. And verse, verse 2 goes out of its way to tell us that they were not even dry, but very dry They were very dry. It's an an indication that these bones were not just dead, but they were dead dead. These are dead bones. there's There's no life left to them. Life is long gone out of them. We're not told what's going on here, but maybe this is meant to be the reminder of a, of, of a battle in which Israel and the men of Israel were, were slain in the battlefield and their bodies have been left there to decompose in the field. But nevertheless, it's a, it's a picture of, of a valley full of bones. It's a picture of utter hopelessness because bones are bones and they stay bones. I think things are, things are utterly hopeless. And of course, it's meant to be also a picture of Israel. At this point, Israel has been in exile for 10 years, and it feels like this is all they have left for them. It feels like they are dead. They are dry bone dead. Verse 3, God asks Ezekiel a question. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? And the the obvious answer to that question is no, they can't live. They're not just dead. They're dead, dead. They can't live. But, but Ezekiel, you see here, he, he knows his God. He understands how his God works. He understands that all things are possible with his God. And so I, I love his answer. It's a good answer. He says, oh, Lord God, you know. <laughs> He's not committing either way here. Oh, Lord God, you know. I want you to watch what God then tells Ezekiel to do. Verse 4. Then he, God said to me, Ezekiel, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. What does God ask Ezekiel to do? Some miraculous sign, right? Some sort of puff of magic? No, he asks him to speak. He asks him to speak the word of the Lord. He asks him to deliver God's message. Okay, so so keep that in mind, because what we're talking about is how amazing things happen when God's word is spoken. He is going to speak God's word. 
Now you see what happens next, how it's structured. Verses 5 and 6, God tells Ezekiel what to say. Then verses 7 and 8, we see what happens as a result. Verse 9, God again tells Ezekiel what to say. Verse 10, we again see what happens as a result. Let's look at those. Verse 5. Verse 5, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So, says Ezekiel, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. Could you imagine seeing this? And behold, a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come on on them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. All right, so, 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 so God's prophet has spoken to these bones, and amazing things begin to happen. The bones reassemble themselves. They then take on sinews, and they take on flesh, and they take on skin, but you'll notice they are still lifeless corpses. They're still just a, a bunch of Dead bodies laying on the field. The, 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 the word of God has hit them, but it has not yet produced in them any life. Much like some of you who hear the word of God, but you sit there like lifeless corpses. I mean, maybe your church attendance is making you look good. It's putting some flesh on your bones. You, you dress up nicely. But... You are still a corpse. You are still dead, dead. You are, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, you are dead in your trespasses and your sins. You have no spiritual life. You see, the word of God does not, in itself, bring new life. Let me say that again. The word of God does not, in itself, bring new life. You could listen to an audio of scripture nonstop for years and never have new life in your soul. The Word of God does not in itself bring new life. You need something more than just the Word of God. Uh, The reformer, John Calvin, he liked to talk about the necessity of two things working in tandem. He said, you need the Word and you need the Spirit. The Word and Spirit. The Word and the Holy Spirit. God's Word will not penetrate hearts unless the heart is first softened by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's calloused, it's hardened, it's deadened to anything, even the Word of God, unless the Spirit does His work. And notice how that works out in Ezekiel 37. I mean, what, what comes next? Verse, verse 9. Uh, it talks here about breath, but I want you to realize that the Hebrew word for breath is also the word for wind. It's also the word for spirit. And you find those three words all over this passage. But look at verse 9. It says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Okay, what you're going to see is, is what, what's really being said here is you're going to prophesy to the breath. You're going to actually speak to the Holy Spirit. That's this breath. You're going to speak to the Spirit and you're going to, you're going to tell it to come. You're going to, you're going to invoke the Spirit. It's really a, it's a prayer of invocation. Uh, do you realize that in our bulletin, uh, you'll see every Sunday we start our worship service, it says there, with a, a prayer of invocation? What, what are we doing? We're, we are asking the Spirit to move among us. We are invoking God's Spirit to come and to make His Word effective. So verse, verse 9 again, Then He said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come, 
from the four winds, that is, come from every direction, that is, come with full power, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath, the wind, the spirit, came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now, I just want you to see this. Look at what happens when God's word and God's spirit work together. God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can do amazing things. Let me, get, let me give you two. There's a lot we could do, but let me give you two amazing things that happen when God's word and spirit work together. First, God's word creates new life. God's word creates new life. We see that here, don't we? The, the dead are brought to life. In fact, it's very much the same language as that of creation. Genesis chapter 2, God breathed on the man and gave him life. That's the, that's the image here. And listen, that's what God's word does. That's what God's word is doing in this very congregation. When God's word is preached, it is bringing new life. Uh, you, you may be a dead man, but do you know what Romans chapter 10 says? I want you to listen, if you're, if you're dead in your sins, if you're not a Christian, I want you to listen. Romans chapter 10 says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Do you, do you see the connections there? You may be dead, but you are well positioned. You are in the right place this morning, my friend. You are well positioned through the hearing of God's word and through the working of the Spirit to respond in faith. Faith comes from the hearing of the word of God. And that's what God asks. That's what God asks of you, that you, you turn to Him as the only one capable of giving you spiritual life. I mean, He can take the, the, He can take care of the, of the deadness of your sins. He can forgive them. And He can breathe into you the freshness of new life. Boy, if that sounds like something you want to know more about. You say, Craig, tell me more about the, the freshness of new life. Tell me more about how God breathes new life in people. Let's talk. Or I bet you could turn to some of your neighbors after the service and say, what was he talking about? Can you help me understand? God loves to create new life. You know, it's not the preacher. It's not the preacher who creates new life. It's God working through his word that creates new life. It's like that parable in Mark chapter 4. It's a quick little parable that Jesus told. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. It sprouts. It grows, it springs up, and then it has these beautiful words, and he knows not how. The guy who scattered the seed has no idea how that happened. Certainly wasn't anything he did. Why? Because it is God who gives the growth. Well, secondly, we said God's, God's word creates new life. Secondly, God's word creates a people. God's word creates a people. Look at verse 10. It says, So uh, I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God's word leads to the creation of an army. It leads to the creation of a people. It leads to a community. In fact, look at verse 11. It's, we're told that these bones are the whole house of Israel. In verse 12, he refers to them as, Oh, my people. Verse 13, Oh, my people. What I'm saying is that God's word forms a people. Now, in its context, this prophecy does have a double fulfillment. On the one level, this is about national Israel 
They are, this is back in Ezekiel's day, they are currently in exile. But the promise of this passage is that one day God will bring them out of exile. He will gather them together again. That's on one level. But on another level, this is about spiritual resurrection. I believe this is looking forward to the new covenant that is yet to come for Ezekiel. God will take what is dead and dry and hardened and hopeless and he will breathe new life into it and he will form for himself a new people. His spirit will live within this new people. The greatest fulfillment of this is actually the church. God is breathing new life into his church. He's creating this people. And do you, do you see the connection to the preaching of the word of God? As God's word is proclaimed, God is building his spiritual community. He creates people by his word. You know, we, we can create a people, a, I'm putting this in quotation marks, a church by other means. And we, we, can, we can build a community around warm fellowship. We can build a community around wonderful programs. We can, we can attract people who stay because of a great worship band or a charismatic preacher. We could draw a crowd with fun and games and giveaways. We could do that. We could gather people together for all sorts of reasons, but we need to be very, very careful. We don't want to do that. Let's be a community that gathers itself around the Word of God. Let that be what knits us together. Now, there's more we could say, isn't there, about the the potency and power of God's Word. I mean, think about it. I've just mentioned two things, but, but not only is God's word creating new life, not only is God's word creating new people, it's also sanctifying people, it's sustaining people, it's giving light to our path, it's giving us knowledge of God. We could go on and on, but what I want you to see that if, is, is that if God's word is able to do things like this, if it's, if it's able to create new life and to create a new people, then is it not incumbent upon us that we make sure that we boldly proclaim and teach and preach and herald the full word of God? Because only the word of God can do all of that. And I believe this is best done through expositional preaching. And so my application to you is simply this. Listen. Listen to the word of God. Don't just endure the sermon. Don't sit down to simply let it tickle your ears and make you happy. Don't allow it to simply stay at the level of intellectual ascent and all it does is bounce around in your brain. No, I'm saying I want you to listen to the word of God. Chew on it. Meditate on it. Digest it. Don't, don't come up with excuses for not being here. Well, I can't be here this weekend because I've got to go, blah, blah, blah. The family's going to this, that, and sports, and the kids, and I can't be there. No, you should be making up excuses for everything else so that you have the opportunity to listen to the very word of God, which is life. Listen. And then... Don't stop there. Let it reverberate in our community. Speak it to one another. Text it to one another. Email it to one another. We were looking at a passage this morning. Sing it to one another. Call someone up on the phone and sing them God's truth. Get together with someone over coffee 
and, and, and speak the word of God to one another. Listen, we are, we are people who are needy for his word. We are needy for his word beyond what we even understand. We need, desperately need the word of God and how good it is that he's actually given it to us right here in written form. Let's be giving the word of God to one another. Listen, if we do that, if Grace Reformed Baptist Church is a church that does that, we will be a church that is making our God glorious and is making our God known. And that is, after all, why the church exists. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word tells us that the man is blessed who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. So Lord, we ask that that would be true of us. Would we love your word? Would we listen to your word, even when it tells us hard things? And would we proclaim your word to those around us? We pray this, that you would be known, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.